Let's turn together now to the Gospel of John and chapter 12. And we want to focus on two verses in particular. First of all, at verse number 24, John 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then at verse number 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. This morning we reflected in our introduction, at least on the unity of the Bible and the marvel of the way in which the Bible is structured and the manner of the way in which it carries the one message that develops down through generations of the people of God to give us the word of God as we have it. It's a marvelous document. And we saw the way in which the promises of God are the very center of the way in which the Bible is structured and the way in which it develops along with the progress of the story of God's redemption. And the way in which in the first promise that we saw we have in Genesis 3 at verse 15, the first promise, the way in which it unfolds and layer upon layer is, is removed from it down through the generations until we see that what was promised in Genesis 3.15 is what we begin to see when the Son of God is in the manger of Bethlehem and when the Son of God is on the cross at Calvary. And we noted in the morning that we want to look at the unfolding of God's promises in the life of Jesus. And tonight we want to look at this passage in the Gospel of John and see the way in which it is the unfolding of some of what God spoke to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And that is based on, or at least partly based on, the self-consciousness of Jesus. There is so much of, of a crisis of identity in the world in which we live. There was no sign of any crisis of identity in the person or in the life of the Lord Jesus he knew exactly who he was. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was going back to God. He knew he was, in the section itself, the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is the person that captures all of the final glory of the Saviour of the, of the people of God and the Church of God. He knew exactly who he was. And so when he comes into certain areas and certain places... He reacts to what's happening around him because of his self-consciousness of where he has come from and where he is going to. And when we come into look at this passage, we see the way in which there is here a great historical moment, the most significant in the life and the experience of this world. There is the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 and Jesus on the way to the cross at Calvary. It is a hugely significant moment. They recognize that. And Jesus himself, of course, recognized it even better. And so tonight, as we look at these words, that's the context. The bigger picture is the promises of God 
And we want to look at the seed and the conquest of the cross. We want to see, first of all, that there is a prompt in the passage. And sometimes we need prompts from other people, prompts from providence, prompts from God himself, something that moves us, something that reminds us, something that causes us to pay attention. And even when we come to to hear the word of God, we uh, the, the presence here itself coming face to face with the word of God is a prompt from God that he wants us to listen to everything that he has to say to capture our attention and here in, in this passage there is a prompt that comes from other people and the prompt comes from those who are in verse 20 who are come at the feast who are at the feast uh, and who are Greeks who come to Philip. And they are significant because they are not Jews. They are not of the children of Israel. They are significant because they are outside of the boundary of the kingdom of God. And down through the Old Testament, the covenant purposes of God were so focused on the one people of God. And so many of the the people of every generation didn't see a place for those who were outside of their own nation. And here come Greeks, and they are God-fearing. They have been here to worship, and they have a particular desire. And the desire is very simple, which they say to Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. There is an activity in their worship that causes them to give expression to a desire. And the desire is simple and it's life-changing. It's the desire to see Jesus. And for, for ourselves as we come to worship God, here is the, the simplicity of the desire of the children of God that they wish nothing more than to see Jesus and nothing less will do for them. Because as they come to worship, they are processing in their minds all that they have learned about the Son of God, all that they have understood from their time at the Passover and at the feast. They are processing that in their minds. And as those who are God-fearers, they are processing in such a way that they are coming to the conclusion that here in the person of Jesus of Nazareth is ultimately the person that God is speaking of and that is the person through whom they are to be saved. And so they are desiring to see Jesus. And the desiring is, is, is more than simply a longing. And for, for them and for the children of God, the, the desiring arises from a conscious decision of their will that this is what they must do. And, and it brings our desire back to the fundamental fact that we are changed from within. And when we have our will changed, renewed by God, that in that moment we desire the passion of the Son of God to be our Saviour. 
and all of these things are happening in the lives of those who are Greeks. And tonight, as we worship God ourselves, this is our desire, this is our prayer that we would all be engaged in the process of longing to see Jesus because in our hearts we have changed in such a way that we have a, a conscious state of our will that nothing less than seeing Jesus will do for us. It's powerful, it's life-changing, and it brings us into contact with the Son of God, who is, of course, the Saviour of the world. And they're coming to him, and that development is the prompt that moves Jesus to realise, to recognise that he is at this particular stage in his own life and in the history of God's plan. And it's a wonderful thought. It's always, we believe, moving for the Son of God that, that sinners like you and like me come to seek him and come to desire him. It's something that brings joy to him. But they were unique in the sense that as well as bring that joy to him, they were the means of stirring up in his mind the proclamation that arose from the recognition that now was the moment that he had waited for, and indeed that the whole world had waited for, for the 4,000 years since God spoke in Genesis 3.15 until this moment. Here was the time. And as soon as he hears that, he does make that proclamation, the hour has come. Repeatedly in the gospel he has said on different occasions, my hour has not yet come. His mother says about him at the wedding in Canaan, his hour has not yet come. There are so many times through his life that he is deeply conscious of the fact, despite what's happening around him, that his hour has not yet come. And in fact, his enemies are kept from attacking him at particular times because in the purposes of God, his hour has not yet come. But now he recognizes that, and it is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words, recognizing who he is as the Son of God, as Jesus of Nazareth, as the Son of Man of Daniel 7, that's going to be given glory and dominion and a kingdom that's going to sit at the right hand of God, he recognizes that the time has now come for that to take place. Glory. Glory belongs to him by the very fact of who he is. But it's the glory of his homecoming. And we read on in this gospel itself and, and in John chapter 17 he is, he is praying to the Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your name. Glorify your Son. Glorify me with the glory which I had with you. Here in this passage itself there is, there is that, that message from God, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. It's all about bringing the Son from the state of humiliation in the world, the state of 
lowliness and of suffering and of raising him up and taking his seat in the throne room of God. And our desire for the Lord Jesus must include that final step and the process through which he went that it is not sufficient for our faith to come to the cross and not go beyond it because our faith and our desire to, to know the salvation of God includes the tomb, it includes his resurrection and it includes the glory into which he has entered. The prompt. He, they have come and he is deeply conscious of who he is He is deeply conscious of the moment and he is deeply conscious now of the events that are to unfold. The prompt. Secondly, we have the process. Who does he think he is? Tonight I want us to see that when Jesus is here, He is in the garden of Gethsemane in his mind. And I want us to see that when when God says that he, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, will bruise the serpent's head, I want us to see that that's how he sees himself. That the very first promise that God spoke in the garden is amongst all of the other promises that, that inform his mind at this stage, but that this one now becomes prominent in his thinking and as soon as he begins to think about that there is a process unfolding before him that he captured in this parable in in verse number 24 truly truly I say to you unless a grain a seed of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit Unless a grain of wheat. It's a simple parable at one level. The process, naturally speaking, is quite simple. The seed is going to fall into the ground. It contains an embryo, the very life that's going to produce fruit. It falls into the ground, buried in the soil... And the moisture of the soil begins to, to, to germinate and to grow and to break up so that the life that there is in the seed begins to emerge from the soil and grow up and, and, and towards the sun to be seen in all of its glory so that what we see is the very nature of the seed that goes into the ground. And in that natural process, if I take a handful of my seed and if I leave it in my barn and my storehouse then I may go to it every day but it's not going to change. If I have one seed on an on, on addition in, in my home or in my storehouse I can look at it every day but it is going to remain alone. It's never going to produce anything. And here is Jesus 
and he recognizes that that he is the very offspring of the woman of 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 the woman in, in the garden of eden that he is the seed that comes from the woman the singular that has come to save the world and he is saying to them unless the grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies as if he were saying to to them if only you understood that for me to stay with you and never to leave you is the very thing that would stand in the way of, of the purposes of God. It's the very thing that would cause the promise of God not to come into effect. To stay with you and to be alone is what the result would be. And, and it is an indication of, of, of uh, the darkness and the slowness of the thinking of the disciples that they could not reach the level of understanding that Jesus had. They never rose to these heights. They were always behind him and below him and struggling to, to cope with what he was saying. And here is something staggering for them that he as the seed, the offspring, the promised one of God, that he wasn't going to be their saviour by staying with them forever. That there must be death in his experience. The process. And the process that he recognises as he is prompted by the Greeks to think of the moment of his experience on his journey as the servant of God. And let's follow him. The disciples had the disadvantage of the circumstance that they couldn't reach the level. But for us tonight, it is different because the Word of God makes it simple and clear. And we can rise up to the same level as Jesus in his thinking. We can, we can see him in, in, in his provision being, being provided by God. We can see that unless he dies, he cannot do anything for us. We, we may love his words. We may love his parables and his stories. We may desire to hear more about him. But if he doesn't die, then he is useless for us. There's nothing he can do for us with every respect for who he is he can do nothing for you and for me unless he dies. On the other hand, if he undertakes the process for which he came, then he will not remain alone. But if it dies, the seed, the grain of wheat, the seed of God, the seed that is the Son of God, if he dies, because he dies. Let's not put any doubt in, in, into the, the little word preposition, if, since he dies. It's all matter of fact. Since he dies, he bears much fruit. I throw my seed on the ground and I can read the parable of, of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 
and the seed that falls into, into good ground, it bears fruit, sometimes 60-fold, 80-fold, sometimes 100-fold. It bears much fruit. I put the seed in the right environment, and from there it produces a multitude of fruit. There is a great harvest. And so we take the Son of God, the seed of the woman, and we place him in the right environment. And the environment is simply the soil of the purposes of God. And God sets the conditions. He set the conditions for his birth in the manger. He sets his conditions for his death on the cross. The conditions are there. And Jesus, the, the seed of the woman, has embraced the conditions every step that he has taken. And now here, in this moment, he is ready to embrace all that, that his death means. And because of that, in laying down his life for the sheep, for the seed, in laying down his life, he bears much fruit. And when Jesus is saying that, Let's continue at this level of thinking and let's remember two things along with Genesis 3.15. Let's remember the promises of God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that I will make you a great nation and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And when Abraham was struggling with the fulfillment of the promises of God and Sarah had not born any children. God said to him in Genesis 15, Look up unto the sky and number the stars if you can, and so shall the number of your offspring be. Jesus, the singular seed of the woman who comes into the world sent by God to save the people of God. He is now saying from these words and from this parable that by his death he is going to be the means of producing the, the massive number of, of children of God that God described when he spoke to Abraham, that God described when he spoke to other generations that the seed of God, the number of the children of God would be beyond what we could ever Number, And so the enmity that God speaks of in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. There is the offspring, the multitude that are born because of what Jesus, the Son of God, has done in our place. And Isaiah makes an interesting statement in Isaiah chapter 53 at verse number 10, 11. After Jesus has died for our sin, sacrificed himself, he shall see his seed. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And when Jesus rises from the dead, there is the great harvest of the people of God. 
and the harassed of the people of God. We have it in Revelation chapter 7 where there is that vision given to John. Who are these? A great multitude from every nation, every kindred and tongue that no man could number. Who are these? They have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their clothes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They are the seed of the Son of God. They are there in their magnificent multitude. And all because on Calvary's cross, when Jesus, the Son of God, was 33 years of age, that he died as the seed of God, the seed of the woman, so that he would not remain alone. And so that tonight we we could be here, the children of God, growing as if it were out of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, having our roots in in the life of his resurrection. And so, having the desire, and so having the will, and having the longing, and being ready to surrender, and saying like the Greeks, Sir, we would see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. The process that produces a harvest that only the day of glory will show what it is. And if we cannot number them, when we read the Bible, we cannot number them there, but only then will the great harvest be known. There is a prompt, there is a process that produces children of God. And thirdly, there is the power. Something has to happen. There has to be a change of power. There has to be a conquest. There has to be some way in which all the people of God who are in the bondage of sin, who, who, are, who are servants of Satan, there must be some way through which children of God are to be set free before they can be the seed of God that produces fruit in their own lives. And we turn now to verse number 31 and we read these words. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The power. And if we're going to see part one of Genesis 3.15 in verse 24, then we're going to see part two of Genesis 3.15 in verse number 31. Because God in his promise in Genesis 3 said, He, the seed of the woman, will bruise your head. He's going to strike a fatal blow on the serpent who is the devil. And on the basis of that and and on the other side of that, there will be freedom. And here is Jesus prompted to, to think about what happens next. And he is seeing the children of God in the first fulfillment thought of Genesis 3, but now he has seen the, the fulfillment of God in 
the struggle that he, in which he is going to engage in the cross. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The world are passing judgment on him in the gospel. The world reject him. That is, this world, the world in its enmity against God, rejects him. That enmity itself was something that God spoke of in Genesis 3. But the enmity is there, and they are judging the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. They send him to the cross. But in actual fact, Jesus is judging them. God is judging them. And judging them as those who belong to the darkness, who belong to this world and have no place in this kingdom. When we reject Jesus and his life and his death on the cross, when we reject him, we are passing judgment on him. But more importantly, when we do that, he is passing judgment on us. They sent him to the cross. But God has a purpose. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The ruler of this world. The prince of this world. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about the God of this world blinding the minds of unbelievers. He deceived even the Garden of Eden He is working in the world, keeping sinners in darkness, trapped in their lostness. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. He is still doing it. He was in Corinth. I'm sure he is doing it in Shobas and Bragger. I'm sure he is doing it across the world every day. He is blinding the minds of unbelievers. But here on the cross... The ruler of this world is going to be cast out. Forcibly evicted from his place of power and influence and cast out from there as someone who is defeated in the cross at Calvary. Jesus, the Son of God, strikes on him that fatal blow that takes away his power. And as we see in the book of Revelation, he's tied in chains, he is thrown down, he is bound so that he will deceive the world no longer. His power is taken away. His head is bruised. And Jesus binds the strong man in his own words in Matthew 12. And having bound the strong man, then he is able then to plunder the spoils and to plunder the house and take from the house of the strong man those who are kept in possession by him. And in the moment of the cross and in the struggle of Jesus with Satan on the cross, And in this triumph over him in the cross, there is the transfer of power. And when I hear as we 
sang in Psalm 110 and in, in Acts chapter 2 when I hear that God says to his son, sit at my right hand. The shift of power is complete. The power is taken away from the God of this world, from the kingdom of this world, and it's now placed wholly and completely at God's right hand in the person of his son. And until and unless that happens, there is no hope for you and for me. There is the importance of, of, of that moment of power struggle and, and power takeover that places Jesus, the Son of God, on the throne of the universe. And from there, Verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And the lifting up from the earth, we note that it's not being lifted onto the cross. It's being lifted from the earth. He came down to the earth when he was born in the manger. He grew up as the child in Nazareth. He, came, he was sent down from heaven. And the only one, says Jesus himself, who ascends to heaven is the one who came down. And so now, when I am lifted up from the earth, when I am seated at God's right hand, I will draw all people to myself. It is from that power base in heaven that God will draw sinners to himself, that he will build his church, that he will gather this multitude. And the drawing, of course, speaks of, of attraction that builds up desire. It speaks of, of the beauty of the object. It speaks of the way in which there is a constraining that, that grows into love and, and, and into longing and into self-sacrifice and into surrender. And we read in Psalm 110 the way in which in the day of God's power there is a willing people. And so for Jesus he will draw all people to himself to his passion, to his glory, to his heavenly home, to his heavenly dwelling, to the paradise that he restores and regains because of his victory on the cross. And tonight for, for you and for me, as we hear something of what he, what he was thinking as we hear something of his understanding, we appreciate and we rejoice together in the knowledge that all of the power and all of the attraction that is necessary for our salvation comes from the very throne of God. And tonight, you want to look there and you want to to let your mind take you from where you are and, and 
Look to the throne of God by way of the cross. Make sure the route is the right one. Take your journey and, and you're looking through the manger, through the cross, through the tomb, through the resurrection, to the glory of God. And if you take the right journey, then you are in the place where the powerful attraction that there is in the passion of Christ and in his salvation captures your heart and, and leaves you wanting nothing less than him and desiring him and longing for him. And as, as you do so, God will remind you that it is, it is only the power that there is in the person of Jesus at his right hand that will ever change your heart. And that will reassure you that if tonight that's the journey you are taking, that's where you are looking, if that is a case tonight, then thanks be to God. By the grace of God alone, can we look in that direction and have a growing longing and desire that will find no satisfaction apart from the passion of the Son of God. The prompt, the desire of the Greeks, the process, the dying so that many will have life and the power, struggle and change over. That means that you and I can tonight be touched by the power of God which is unto salvation and become part of the the multitude that God has promised will be there through the life of this world and will be together in the day of the glory of the Son of God. May God bless his words. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in you and in the work of your Son on our behalf. Help us to see him in his glory and in his beauty and help us to feel his power and to be moved in our hearts, willing to lay hold of him, desiring after him, powerfully engaged by you in the gospel, to receive and to have him in our hearts. Bless your word to us, we pray, to that end. Be merciful to us as we go into the week that unfolds before us. Keep us in it and keep us mindful of who you are and who we are and mindful of the grace that saves to the uttermost all those who come to you through Jesus Christ, your Son. Hear our prayer and our mercy, for we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.